Hey, hi, hello, everybody. So we're live from the dollhouse. We call it the dollhouse. If you know, you know. If you don't, you do now. Hi, Catherine. I haven't seen you in fucking years. Hi, Jade. How are we? Doing amazing. You've been all over the place. I have been gallivanting. It's true. I've I've been really just exposing myself to this insane heat. I'm melting in here and I begged Brad to let me use my AC because it is fucking <laughs> 105 degrees out. It's something insane. Monstrous. Absolutely monstrous. My sister also told me I curse too much. So I'm really trying to reel <laughs> it in, but it's not it's not going well so far for me. It's just the F word is just the best word. I mean, it's basically just a space filler at this point. Yeah, it's just it's better and it shows passion. So I'm just trying exactly. to exactly I'm just trying to show some passion. But first of all, I am actually sick in the head because I just placed a very large cashmere wardrobe order online. Oh, my God. You love cashmere. I love. <laughs> Why does everyone know that? Why did- like, I don't know how I made that my brand, but I'm- I- honestly, it's not so bad. Dylan is really the lover of cashmere. Oh, my God. Yeah. And I think it just like imprinted on me. But I just placed an entire order for like two cashmere sweaters, a cashmere sweatshirt and sweatpants. So like, I don't know what weather I'm shopping for, but. Oh, my God. You just want to sweat in these sweatpants. I just want to sweat. Well, Gigi Hadid came. I'm like so easily influenced, came out with this cashmere line. That's incredible. So I was like, you know what? No time like the present to just spend more money than you should and buy cashmere in 100 degree weather. At least you can wear them in like a month when it's fall. Honestly, at this rate, we're never going to see winter again. It's really terrible. Oh, my God. Has this been like the sweatiest summer of all for you, too? I just cannot stop sweating, no matter what I wear. We're going to have an enemy number one early in the episode this time, and we can cue the sound effect because enemy number one is this effing. See, I say effing. I'm so, <laughs> I'm so I'm doing so, so restrained. Well. I'm so G-rated. This heat, this heat Because you know what? Am I the only one that gets their bikini body in December? (laughs) No, absolutely not. I have all my seasons mixed up. No, it's true. Me and Mims, we both get like a little bit of a summer belly because you're not out in the heat doing stuff all the time. Mimsy's got like a cute little belly because it's too hot for her to go on long walks. Yeah, I have it all backwards. Like I gain weight in the summer. (laughs) I really do. I don't know what it is. It's just also like my procrastination, I think, in full effect. I think it's like I try to start. By the time I start, it's August. And I'm like, oh, I should probably get my shit together. I had my brother's wedding this past week. And and I was looking at pictures of myself. And I was like, oh, OK, we didn't prepare for this at all. Like fully did you looked not. incredible. Thank you so much. But, you know, I mean, we all, we're all our own worst critic. But like, of course. I mean, I don't know when I ever have prepared for anything weight-wise successfully, but I just do feel like I look my best in the winter when I'm covering myself up. No, that's too much pressure. You don't have to lose weight for a specific thing that's coming up. All bodies are bikini bodies. We know this by now. Yes, but we all know the best for ourselves, our own personal best. And I managed to hit that at the same time that I'm covering myself up in the most clothes. So it's all good. I mean, honestly, I'm probably happiest in the winters, but I actually find when I gain weight, I'm happy. Does that make sense? I'm the kind of person that eats when I'm happy versus when I'm, you know, I feel like you have one or the other. I mean, that's back in Chicago where we call cuffing season. It's basically like your emotional eating is when you're happy, not when you're sad. Yeah. So I was not prepared for this kind of bullshit. I'm so sick of tank tops. I'm sick of all of that (laughs) nonsense, you know? Yeah. But here's what I was wondering. My brother got married in a valley in California. 
And you guys, it was hotter than Hades. It was truly the hottest weekend of the summer. I think it hit 107 one day. Like, it was really, really Ugh. insanely hot. They had to move their ceremony back, I think back an hour or like up like an later. hour later. Yeah. Yes, whatever that means. But also, you know what's the worst in heat? Hmm. Like, what really will just put uh, you in a being bad Being all mood. dressed up. Being, A, being dressed up, putting makeup on, getting your hair done. Like, all of it's ruined by the time you get there. Also, the AC broke. Oh, my the God. The air conditioning broke, you guys. In the hotel. So she, I mean, honestly, my sister-in-law is a saint, which I already knew, but this just enforced it. I literally was telling her the whole time. I was like, you are teaching me in real time, like, how to be a good person. Because, like, my mom was calling her about bullshit. Like, her mom was calling her. It was, we were asphyxiating in this insane heat. Oh All the bridesmaids are in the same room. So it's, like, also that body heat combined. Oh. And everyone was asking her questions and, like, no one would leave her alone. And, like, we were driving in golf carts, like, to and from places. Her hair was getting ruined. And she never broke. She did not, like, lose her temper one time. I literally would, like, call off the wedding. Like, I would be <laughs> so a not cute version of myself and, like, make myself regret everything. I would, like, flip out on my mother-in-law or something that I regretted later. Like, she was the picture of patience. She is beauty. She is grace. I mean, fuck. I'm like beauty and grace until you it hits 86. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then it's like, it's over. It's over. It was insane. But I was wearing like a silk-ish dress as all those like bridesmaids dress fabrics are. You know Ugh, what I mean? Like if you slipped anywhere near a flame, you'd burst into flames yes. immediately. Le polyester. And I was wearing Spanx. I keep going back and forth between Spanx, Commando, and Skims, honestly, of like which one I like the best. My sister's a huge commando girl but i love skims lately i do love skims so i was wearing skims under it i was sweating from every orifice of my body it was insane <laughs> but it dawned on me and like i don't know which one of us has been single more recently but i don't think either of us will have the answer to this question so i'm depending on you guys who are listening to tell me what goes on what is the culture of shapewear and sex because truly, <laughs> when I put on shapewear, like, especially like, the skim stuff, I break a sweat. Like, it's truly so tight above, like, to pull up over my ass. Like, it's... Like, you're very much going to war. A huge exertion, exertion of energy. <laughs> it's intense. I'm pulling it up, sweating. It's terrible. So how do you do that with sex? Do you ask to go to the bathroom first before you take it off? Are guys used to seeing it now? Do they know? Like, I don't think... Like, do guys need to take it off you? No, like, I don't think a guy could take it off me without using two hands, give him my legs and, like, pulling it out from under me. You know what I mean? <laughs> and then he's sweating too. No, it's fully, like... Me laying on the bed, Brad putting his hands on the top right. where my bra is, my feet on his chest, and just like pulling <laughs> That's down. What I'm saying. <laughs> How do you get it off if you're hooking up with someone for the first time? It's a two man job. Back when I back when I was dating, shapewear was like not a real thing because we were all like 19 and like babies. But I still wore shapewear then because I've always had a butt. Now I'm like, what the hell do you do? Right. So if you're hooking up with a guy at a wedding or whatever, are you going to go in the bathroom and right. take it off? Do you just like, do they just know there's granny panties under there? And like, if you're drunk, honestly, it's anyone's <laughs> game at that point. Like, if you're drunk, then you're just like, you forget you have it on. And then like, th do they ever ask you? Like, do they say, what is this? Or 
I mean, it's like literally the least cute thing. Like you take off the dress first and then you're just stuck in this beige like <laughs> set. Like I truly wonder, you guys. So if you have some horror stories of like taking off your shapewear during a hookup, like I need to know. I need to know. Oh, my God. Please send this to Jade. Jade, you've got to put this on your Instagram. We'll share the answers. I cannot wait to hear. I'm so curious. Like, I'm truly so curious. Like, maybe people, I don't know, in the club, you're definitely wearing shapewear. And, like, <laughs> what do you do? Hooking up with a dude in the club in your shapewear. Because they're, they're going to take off your shapewear and then your underwear, theoretically. You wear underwear with shapewear, right? I depends. What? <laughs> I mean, if it has a double gusset, then sometimes I do. Wait, what the hell is that? It's that where, like, the bottom, there's, like, two flaps that open up so you pee. Oh, Skims has that, too. Just stick the penis through there is what you're saying. (laughs) Through the double gusset. Stick the penis, stick the fingers through there. (laughs) No! Yeah, I used to wear the one with the double gusset, but then I had to wear underwear with it, too. So now I just use the kind that has, like... Uh, an underwear bottom and then I just like if I have to pee I just like pull over the side no because you end up peeing on all over your hands like when you pull it out like when you're peeing and you just like pull it apart then you literally piss all over your hands as someone who has pissed all over her hands before truly it's terrible men have no idea what we go through no that's the thing men honestly if, if you're dating a man if you're dating a woman I can't imagine that it lends itself to the sexy time you're about to have. You know what I mean? It's a definite yes. break in the chain of momentum. You're like, oh, oh, T.O., 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 T.O. We're about to like fully do a physical activity. You have to pull <laughs> me out of this shit. You know what I mean? Like, it's really intense. What are you going to do? Like sneak off to the bathroom and like take them off and like try totally. to be hot? You have to like hide them in your purse? It's a terrible thing. Please, everyone, tell us what the hell is going on. Yeah, everyone listening to this, if you've had an experience with this or if you have any good like recommendations or suggestions as to how someone should handle that, please let me know. Because it's not like embarrassing. But it also is. The act of taking it off is. Right. I have to like wiggle myself into it. And then do you just take it with on the way home? Speaking of getting sweaty, that's like the thing that will make you the most sweaty. Yes. It's a whole thing. So like, let me know like how you do that because- (laughs) Right now, Dylan's just, like, pulling me out of it like he's changing my diaper, you know? (laughs) Truly. I've laid my back on the bed, and I'm like, okay, take me. It's time. Pull. Heave ho. (laughs) Heave ho. Okay, so I had my brother's wedding this past weekend, which you guys, holy. Uh, It looked so fun. It was so, so fun. It was so fun. Like having my whole family all in the same place was amazing because I've never had both of my sets of step siblings, for example, in the same place. And from my dad's side, from my mom's side, right. my cousins. And I feel like if you have a modern family, you kind of like hold your breath for weddings and stuff like that. We'd never had a sibling wedding before and I didn't know how it would go. You never make room for the option of what if everything goes okay? What if everything right. works out? What if everybody gets along just fine? Everyone was super chill on their best behavior. That's so good. And it was like truly one of the best weekends of my life. Also being like a sibling of a bride or a groom is the best. You have all the access. You get like a VIP, you know, little badge. Behind the scenes. But you don't have like all the same amount of pressure. And none of the work. Totally. It was great. I feel like people have a lot of questions about it. 
Today, I asked you guys what you wanted me to talk about on today's episode, and a lot of you said my brother's wedding. Yes, because it looks so fun. So I'm wondering, what questions do people have? Well, I want to know about the musical guests. That's my first question. Mm. Oh, it was so fun. So what's interesting is, you know Shwayze? No. Oh, my God, you did not grow up in California. <laughs> no, I did not. <laughs> okay, so Shwayze and Cisco were, like, this act that basically, like, made up my entire middle school to, like, high school experience. But what's so funny is, so my sister's boyfriend, who I also we also, like, grew up with because he went to the same school as us, and he was the grade above me, his brother is Cisco Adler of Shwayze. Oh. So they performed... And it was so fun. And it was so funny because my sister-in-law, like, oh, my gosh, I have a sister-in-law. I've never said that out loud before. How exciting. She, like, knew every word to it. It's a very L.A. niche, California kind of driving down PCH. It's all you should listen to. You know what I mean? It's, like, good vibes, good California vibes. She's, like, a closet Swayze fan. Like, she knew every (laughs) word. And then the Black Eyed Peas performed after that, which was so fun. Oh, that's so fun. Yeah. I remember seeing you had tagged Will I Am, but I didn't know if it was him and he was singing all the songs. It was all the Black Eyed Peas minus Fergie, who's no longer in the group. Yes. Oh. 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 She's okay. no longer in the group. Oh. We can right. offline. We can offline okay. about that. Yeah, but yes. Because what's funny is my cousin and Will were roommates after college. Oh. Like they've known each other forever and ever. And then my dad signed the Black Eyed Peas in the 90s at some time at some point. Smart so fella. Yeah. And so they all and then like he added Fergie to the group because it was initially just the guys. Right. And then they all they've been like family forever. You know, like all yeah. of them are, were really close with them. So then they performed it was it felt good. Like it felt like it yeah. was family, familial performances. It wasn't just like random people. Totally. And it was like you could tell they were interacting with you guys in this way that was like sharing jokes and like they know you. And so it felt really nice. Yeah. He was like ad-libbing about like all of my siblings and my Aww. dad and whatever. That's so fun. It was really sweet. I boo-hooed. I <laughs> boo-hooed. Like when my brother was reading his vows, like I really – lost myself but then i had to give a speech so me and my sister yes miss jessica who you got a lot of you guys have met through listening to this show my sister was on an episode and she'll be on more episodes but she was on an episode in the past so you kind of know our dynamic but when my sister-in-law asked me and my sister to give speeches my sister was like i'll take rehearsal dinner and then i (laughs) had to take the real night and ah, brave the actual night is like a lot of pressure because you can't use a lot of inside jokes you know, because like yeah. a lot of people don't know them. So it has to be more like palatable for the crowd, for like a universal crowd. And you can't drink really. Or like maybe you can if you're that kind of good drunk or it makes you better at your speech. But for me, I was like, I don't want to say something stupid or lose my place or anything like that. So like I didn't drink before. And it was nerve wracking, but I rehearsed a lot giving my speech. I do eventually want to graduate to like the non-phone speech. Like mm, people that can do that are ballsy it. as fuck. Yeah, just like memorizing everything and knowing what you're going to say. Just go for it. Just ad lib and just like depend on the bullet points of notes. Like, no, I need to rehearse delivery, which is weird because everyone expects me to be a good public speaker because I have a podcast. Totally. But it's not the same. I can't see all you bitches and hoes. You know what I mean? (laughs) When this episode comes out, I can't see the jokes that fall flat. I can't hear all that stuff. So it's a totally different thing. No, it's a different muscle. I love public speaking when I'm doing it, but the idea of it is extremely intimidating. 
Yeah, it's sort of a delicate balance there because you have to like have a story that's like cute and like funny, but also sentimental and like clean enough for grandma. Mine was not. Oh, no. Mine was actively not. Like I went racy. I gave a very racy speech because my brother and my sister-in-law, they've been together for 12 years, but I met my sister-in-law at an after party, like a high school after party. Did you guys have those? Uh, No, we didn't even what? have dancing at prom. Oh my God. Okay. So we would have like, you guys, this is it's going to like shut down every private school in Los Angeles, but we would have these like after parties after like homecoming, semi-formal prom that would be held at like clubs that you should only be able to get into what? when you're like 21. But it was like, I don't know how somehow the like the boy seniors of each like high school class, like the senior boys would like throw, they were in charge of throwing these events. So Anyway, they would name them these de- – I mean, hopefully these schools have gotten a little more woke in these, like, recent times. They would name them the most, like, deplorable things, like <laughs> ho in the dark rather than glow in the dark. <laughs> this particular one was called Disneyland. No. Than- <laughs> oh, gross. Yes. So I had to mention that they had their first kiss at Disneyland. Like, the story would not have been as good without that, you know? So I had to say that in front of like everyone. Oh my God, you did. Uh, and probably humiliate my brother. Yeah, you know what I mean? If you, <laughs> if you can't hang, you can't hang. No, nope, nope. got you, Get with the program, also, Grandma. Like, don't ask me to give a speech if you don't want me if to If you want it to be clean. So I will go there. Yes, she will. She says the F word every three words, but I've been doing really <laughs> well in the past like five minutes. You I've actually just have. about myself. So I want to really focus on reparenting this week because I think it's an interesting topic. I think like gaslighting has had its day in the sun. I think gaslighting is really like hot button topic right now. People are misusing it all over the place. Everything is being called gaslighting. Mm -hmm. But I think I'm just going to predict that reparenting is going to be the next trendy psychological thing. Okay, so tell me a little bit more about what that is. Okay, so reparenting is like has been huge in my life. And essentially reparenting, especially reparenting yourself, reparenting is the idea of like giving yourself the things that you didn't get in childhood, right? So theoretically, most people miss out on things like discipline, joy, emotional regulation, and self-care in some capacity in childhood, like whether it be like one of those things, all four of those things, two of those things, some combination. Those are the most, and, and there are other things, by the way, there are obviously extremes to this, but those are like the things that are most common to miss out on in childhood. Mm. And I have been working on reparenting for a long time in therapy. And I think the first step of reparenting is grieving the childhood that you didn't get and accepting that you didn't get that childhood or certain aspects of childhood. And also a great deal of self-compassion is necessary when like going about reparenting yourself. So for me, a lot of my childhood, because my mom suffered with chronic illness and mental health issues, a lot of my reparenting has come from like the lens of discipline, right? So I was also the youngest of four. 
And, like, my parents were kind of exhausted, as many parents are, when the fourth one comes around. Yes. My older brother always says that by the time my parents got to me and my younger brother, that they got, quote, bored of parenting. Totally. No, (laughs) my mom calls my brother also the first pancake because, like, you get all, like, your mistakes out on them. And then, like, by the fourth, you, like, are supposed to have perfected the art, but you often just lose steam and are, like... We're not going to Disneyland. We're going straight to Six Flags. Or like, you know what I mean? Like you're <laughs> yes, just whatever. I do. But for me, like because a lot of the the focus was on my mom's illness or on my other siblings, like discipline was a huge one for me. And I've learned through my therapist, who's incredible. I've learned a lot about setting boundaries with myself and realizing that a lot of love comes from discipline. I would lie so much in school. Like I would tell my friends, oh, my mom said I can't be out past 11. My parents were like, do whatever the fuck you want. You like not, you know, I mean, obviously they gave a shit, but they were like, even back then you were just trying to get home to get back in bed, weren't you? Yes. Duh. By the fourth kid, you've lost your steam, you know? So, but what's interesting with reparenting yourself from the angle of discipline is like, basically, I started out by like keeping one promise to myself a day. But I think like with reparenting, you kind of have to mourn the loss of hope or expectation that you'll ever have a different childhood Mm. and kind of accepting the quirks or faults within your and deficits within yourself that you have as a result of the childhood that you had. You know, like, no matter if you had the most perfect childhood in the world, I guarantee you, you can relate to some aspect of this because, like, our parents are human no matter what. And, like, they all had faults in some capacity. So, like, discipline has been a huge one that I want to get more into in a second. But I think for me, it was, like, a process of grieving for my past self as well as having compassion to, like, allow myself to view discipline in a different way. Like, I never saw that discipline equals love. You know what I mean? Because I had love, so I didn't see, like, that aspect of it. Like, that discipline and rules can often come as, like, an aspect of love. Enforcing boundaries within yourself, like, not allowing yourself to spend when you want to spend. Or it can manifest itself in so many different ways. Saying yes too often. When I said having compassion for yourself earlier, I mean that you have to understand that things like discipline, emotional regulation, being able to have joy in your day-to-day life, those things may not come as easily to you as they do other people who had maybe different deficits in their childhood. So you have to have a great deal of grace for yourself when you go about this and know that these things are not going to come super easily. Discipline has been a big one, and I think it is a big one for a lot of people having to, like, learn that your inner child will throw tantrums. Mm -hmm. You know, like, your your inner child will say, like, no, I don't want to do it. I want to do this. Like, these self-destructive behaviors that I've been doing for years are fine. Like, kind of like, who are you to parent me? Like, you say that to yourself. Right. But I think that that's been, like, the most healing aspect of my therapy is like learning to reparent myself and like not only learning discipline, but also simultaneously rewarding myself for the promises that I keep to myself. And also just like the natural dopamine you get from keeping promises to yourself. That's where self-care I think comes in. And that word, that phrase is thrown around a lot because self-care is like, it's kind of been overused and a lot of people have equated with a lot of nonsense, but it's like, rewarding yourself, realizing what are the things that like your inner child or just like yourself enjoys, whether that's like if you keep a promise to yourself to keep a dentist appointment, 
right? Like it can be something as small as that. And then rewarding yourself with getting like to watch Housewives for theoretically, no, getting to watch Housewives for three (laughs) hours. You know what I mean? Because like you just did something hard. Yeah. Something that was important for me to understand was that my hard doesn't have to equal someone else's hard. Right. It might be easy for someone else to keep a workout or keep an appointment or keep a plan with a friend. Mm -hmm. But for me, those things might be harder. You know, so like actually taking the time to tolerate the tantrum that I might throw when I have to do those things, Mm -hmm. doing it anyway, and then rewarding myself afterward. Yeah. And I do love that you are talking about this in a way that doesn't equate it with shame, because Mm -hmm. I think so often we think shaming ourselves into doing something, whether it's like, ah, I didn't get that done or I didn't go to the gym today. Oh, my God, I'm so terrible. Like, that is what we often think of disciplining ourselves as, but it's not. Because it is synonymous with like disciplining your child is like telling them they're doing something wrong. We don't exactly, that's why I'm talking about like reframing the word discipline. Totally. And like now we know this like shaming ourselves or like beating ourselves up about stuff is like not a good motivator actually. Yes. I love this idea of coming to yourself with like compassion and encouragement and making it like a positive spin, like a reward. And like meeting yourself where you're at. That's why I keep saying like self-compassion is a huge part of it because it's not Mm self-pity, which often like I think a lot of people can get frustrated with, but self-compassion and being like, you know what? Acceptance. Like I didn't get this aspect in my childhood, this aspect of myself. So I often mess up in this certain aspect of my life and I self-sabotage or I do these things that don't make me happy in the long run reparenting yourself it's not just singular it's not just in discipline it's a whole ecosystem of reparenting that you have to do there's a lot of different ways and there's a lot of aspects to it you can't just just like you don't want a parent that only punishes you and never tells you what you're doing right right you need to have both sides of the equation yeah you know so also like speaking gently to myself was a huge one Mm. you know like not saying like Fuck you, you lazy fuck. Do this. Sorry for saying the F word. Do, you <laughs> there need to it is. do this because like you're you're this labeling myself. It's not that. It's saying literally like this is embarrassing to say, but I will say things to myself like, honey, sweetheart. Mm-hmm. Those yes. words that you need to say to gently remind yourself to do those things. You mm-hmm. know, or if you had a parent that was hyper focused on discipline and like only did that, like reframing your discipline to equal a loving discipline that like acknowledges your strengths but also makes room for the places you need to improve. You know, like saying to yourself and it will sound stupid in your head. I guarantee you it will sound stupid in your head. But saying things like okay, sweetheart, like, I know you don't want to do this right now. You're so incredible that you worked out yesterday and today. You just are going to keep this promise to yourself because you said you would. And like, you literally have to have those conversations in your head. Right. Literally as if you're talking to a child. Right. As if you see the five-year-old and you are now the parent that you wish you had, you know, and it can be a really, really hard thing. Basically, the questions that you have to ask yourself if you are in need of reparenting, and I guarantee you, you'll say yes to at least one of these. Are you self-critical or overly harsh with yourself? Are you too permissive with yourself, not setting limits and allowing yourself to do things that are unhealthy or unsafe? Do you ignore your feelings or have trouble expressing your needs or regulating your emotions? Is it hard for you to treat yourself with love and compassion? So like whichever of those stuck out to you the most is like the part of you that needs reparenting. 
And I think it's hard for us to like acknowledge the kind of infantilized version of ourselves because it can feel shameful. It can feel like, oh, we're adults now. We're supposed to be hard and da 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 da. But like, the truth is, you can't give other people what you're not used to giving yourself. If you want to like make someone feel safe and loved, you have to be able to make yourself feel safe and loved. Whether you want to have kids in the future or not, it can be about wanting to make a partner or a friend or an acquaintance feel safe, seen, and loved. You have to make yourself feel that way. It's an exhausting kind of process, but once you get into the habit of it, I swear to God, I know from experience, it becomes sort of autopilot. Mm -hmm. We're now like... You stop feeling sorry for yourself for what you didn't get, and you finally feel like, oh, okay, the story's not over yet. It's not like the drawbridge is closed, like on your 18th birthday, and you're, all those things, all those damages crystallize. You still have an opportunity to rewrite a lot of the the adaptations that you took on in childhood out of survival that may no longer serve you in adulthood. For example, for me, like perfectionism really served me in my childhood. It really helped me be like, don't look behind the curtain. Just look at me. I'll tap dance for you. I'll make you think my family's perfect. Like I'll convince you that I'm worth loving. And that worked in childhood. There were no repercussions necessarily. When I took that into adulthood, a lot of my relationships suffered. I suffered most importantly. It didn't work in adulthood anymore. So I had to find a way to reparent that inner child version of myself that felt inadequate, that felt like I had to be perfect to be loved. That came with a combination of reparenting. It comes with finding ways to emotionally regulate myself, you know, and like not hate myself so much for the things that I took on in childhood or that the ways that I like protected myself in childhood. I think we have such disdain for our wounds and for our traumas. If you take the keys back and say like, okay, like I can actually change this. I can listen to my inner child. And it takes a lot also to get into connection with your inner child. Like it takes a lot of vulnerability and it can be uncomfortable because that person can be in a lot of pain and you might've found a really incredible way to like quiet that voice might not be that healthy and you find like the ways that that's hurting you in your relationships in adulthood but it's the best feeling in the world once you get into the rhythm of I'm gonna baby myself in some ways and then in some ways I'm gonna push myself just like the healthiest of parents would be yes I think it's so good that you're getting this stuff done in your 20s too because we had a family friend who grew up in like sort of a horribly abusive weird situation where Like her parents were in a cult and she was like ritualistically sexually abused, like really awful, awful stuff. And she went through a period where, you know, she tried to push all this stuff down, but she said, no matter what you do, it always comes out in your 30s. Like you can push it down for a while. My dad always says this and I might butcher it, but he says problems, trauma, demons are like styrofoam. You can try to bury them as much as you want, but they will always persist to exist. But so she started doing equestrian therapy. What is that? Which is, uh, oh, so that's uh, therapy with horses. Oh, horses are like, I swear. Are you a horse girl? I mean, I'm not necessarily a horse girl, but I'm an animal girl. Like, I definitely feel like they can feel us. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I think it's so healing also when you're riding a horse. They sense your soul and like your aura and your energy. 
Right. And working with horses, like she tried everything else basically and was still like on the verge of suicide. And she finally found basically horse therapy and would come over and ride my dad's horses all the time. And it's such a physical thing. And now we know that those traumas, especially traumas like what she went through, but even other types of trauma, you know, they're stored in our bodies. Like they're in there and they will work their way out. If we don't like use whatever therapy works for us to work them out of our bodies, they will come out. You know what they say, the body keeps the score. And they can go on to like destroy our relationships or even destroy us. Totally. By the way, I chose a partner who is able to fill so many of the holes of the things that were missing in my childhood. And that's wonderful. That being said, only you know what your inner child feels, what your inner child wants. Even listening to me now, you might be like, Jade, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. But that's because like your disassociation from your inner child has grown so far that like you don't even know what that like you can't even hear them anymore. And like I was at that point too. Like I just suppressed that person. I was like, okay, I'm surviving. I'm thriving. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. But like you see it in your relationships, you see it in your day-to-day life, you see it in the indulgences you let yourself have too much of, you see it in feeling inadequate, you see it in like all of those other, like it does manifest itself. You can run, but you cannot hide, you know? And I think it's such a solitary mission, you know? It really is like inherently just something that you need to tackle on your own. And like whether it's through journaling, listening to your inner child, whether it's doing something that your inner child really enjoyed, like when you were young, like something that you enjoyed. And it can feel really like you're regressing. It can feel like you're going back in time. Like, why do I need to look back when I need to look at the future? But like, you can't heal your future without healing your past. You need to like pay attention to that inner child that maybe didn't get enough of a certain aspect of of life that you need. And I was kind of like, well, what's done is done. The way that my parents were deficient is now the way that I'm deficient. And that's not true. Like, I I swear I know from personal experience, you can right so many of those wrongs yourself by just really leaning in and saying, I'm the grown up now. I've got the keys. Where in life am I hearing my parents' voice? You know, like that's destructive in some capacity. And where do I need to rewrite the script? Where can I take care of myself and coddle myself? And you and it feels kind of weird. Like it for me, especially who's so like tries to just power through, it feels weird to like indulge that childlike version of yourself. Right. It's almost like you're speaking to a little kid and like coming alongside mm-hmm. yourself and like talking to yourself in like a sweet, comforting way. No, a hundred percent. Some ways you really need to be indulged. In some ways you need to put boundaries up. And I hate saying the word boundaries because like Right. It gets abused. Totally. But that's why I mean it's like so you know in your gut, in your soul, what you need and like what wasn't given to you in childhood and what you felt maybe was misinterpreted in childhood or any of those things. Like it's real that's why it has to be a solitary mission. It has to be you and you alone healing that. And there can be other people that support you, you you know, like whether you have a chosen family through your friends or whether you've remedied a lot of the relationships within your family or whether you find a partner that rights a lot of the wrongs that existed in your childhood. But it has to start with you because you're the one that you lie awake with at night. 
Right. And it's like you have to become a whole person so that you can bring Mm -hmm. good things into a relationship so that you can be fully formed. I think otherwise it's really hard to have a super healthy relationship with another person. Yeah. Romantic or otherwise. Totally. And I think a lot of people get mixed up when we use the term like whole person because everyone's like, when are you ever a whole person? And like we're all works in progress. Yes. Right. Totally. But the second you are able to ease your pain, the second that you are able to soothe yourself and create your own sense of joy is the second you are free. You have to be willing to face the truth, which was that we don't have perfect childhoods a lot of the time. We're not understood to our fullest capacity in some homes. We're not cared for, coddled, you know, disciplined in the the way that maybe we need, you know? And, like, it's important to just face that person and, like, not with too much self-pity. That's not really what I'm saying. But I think if you're afraid of the word self-pity, then, like, you need to look in on yourself and say, like, okay, do I have trouble having compassion for myself? Because you need to, without feeling like a victim, say to yourself, like, I just wasn't given that tool. So how can I, in adulthood, remedy that? And you can. You can take the reins back because soon you might be a parent yourself. And I love this book called Us by Terrence Real, who actually the forward is by Bruce Springsteen. And my dad, who's very close with Bruce, quotes him constantly in this this particular field because he's so knowledgeable about the things that helped us survive in our childhood, not helping us thrive in adulthood. And he's so knowledgeable about that. But that book's called Us, if you want to read it, because it's amazing. But it says, like, the way that we honor our parents and their efforts is by carrying on their blessings and doing the best not to pass forward their troubles, their faults to our own children. And it's Mm -hmm. like, you know, I think when you also sometimes you need another person to give yourself the motivation to care for yourself, you know, and you might be that kind of person who's like, I can't save myself until I have a reason to pull myself out of the burning building, which might be a child. It might be a relationship you really want, but know that your own limitations won't let yourself open up to. It might be the job that you want. Like for me, putting myself out there, which is something I so wanted I've wanted my entire life to create this community, to be a part of something like this show. But sometimes the way that we are nurtured often conflicts the way that we are, our our nature, like contradicts our nature, doesn't allow us to live out our truth and like the life that we want to live. And it's not over. It's not our, our childhoods don't predict our entire future. Totally. Like our minds are plastic. You can make changes to the way that you operate. You can form new neurons. And it just really takes muscle memory and practice. And trust me, I was the girl. I talk about this a lot, but I think when people say you're an old soul, it's often because you're forced to be an old soul. But I would say to my parents, genuinely, and it's funny now to think of like an eight-year-old saying this to their parents, because, you know, like they say that your memory solidifies at age seven and all those things, all these psychological, you know, statistics and whatever. I would be like, you're fucking me up. It's going to be irreversible. Like these spells that you're casting on me, the Mm -hmm. ways that I'm neglected or unfulfilled in my childhood are like, it's going to be forever. And I thought that until like 25. And this was past the time that I was already starting my reparenting, learning to talk back to myself and create a dialogue between my adult self and my inner child, which was hard to do. At first, I was speaking to no one. 
you can feel like, are you there? God, it's me, Margaret. You're like, what's going on? I can take multiple practices, whether like you need to journal your way to get there to hear that voice, or you need to like find some really quiet space or time to meditate and hear your inner child. Like there are a lot of ways to connect, but you just need to open the connection. Your inner child will meet you where you're at. You just have to open the floodgates. I don't know. I just feel like reparenting is so important because we talked about how in this episode, we wanted to talk about like decorating your space and like creating a home that like feeds your soul, that feeds your inner child. And a lot of that has to do with reparenting, realizing like, whoa, I'm the adult now. Like in a lot of ways, I think like we're infantilized. We infantilize ourselves and don't feel like we're the adults that we were waiting for. Like I, one of my favorite quotes, It says, the person you are right now is the person you would have felt safe with when you were young. This idea of being the person that you wanted to show up for you as a child. Right. To parent you, really. So I think a lot of that is hard to interpret. A lot of it is kind of this abstract idea. And it can start off in little solid concrete ways like creating a home putting up a poster of your favorite childhood character or like really indulging that childhood version of yourself or like really feeding the dopamine and serotonin gods you know within you yes this topic means so much to me because i went through a period of time where i had lost my grandma I had lost a mentor. I had lost my niece, like all in the span of about two months. And I was like not working in the job I wanted to work in. We had an issue in our apartment where like we couldn't sleep through the night because there was a sound issue. And like it just all of those things together led to pretty severe depression. And I kind of finally realized that was very much reflected in my space. Like not that I left it dirty, but like. I didn't take a lot of like time to beautify my space and it was just sort of like a place where we lived and you know there'd be like work on the dining room table instead of flowers or whatever and one day I just decided like I'm going to do one thing to just beautify my space and so I cleared the dining room table off of like whatever was on it started with a fresh slate and made just a little tablescape with like some pretty linens and I lined up all my cookbooks that I love and, you know, bookended it with like a plant and a candle and just made it beautiful. And it was the one place in the house that I felt like, okay, I just like poured my heart into this and made this little nook beautiful. And it really did change my mindset. Totally. And so then the next week, I went and did another thing and another thing. And it was sort of this chain reaction that wound up getting me out of a depression, first of all, eventually getting us into a new apartment where we felt more safe, we could sleep through the night, all that stuff. I really do credit that one change of my space with like setting that chain reaction off. And it doesn't even have to be something that like costs a lot of money or anything. This was literally just using things I already had in my home. But it was being intentional and putting care and a self-reward into my space. Yeah, like that's what I want to clarify is it's not like looking on like Architectural Digest and creating the home that your favorite influencer or actress or whatever has. That's not it at all. It's actually quite the opposite. It's like really leaning into like what makes you, you and your own 
incredibleness, you know, like what makes you happy, what makes your heart sing, even if it's a picture of you and your cousin as children that just makes you smile because it's that kind of person that feels good to you or makes you remember fun things, having those little dopamine plugs within your home. What I mean by saying it's quite the opposite is that it's completely abandoning what others might find cute or nice or acceptable, quite frankly. Mm -hmm. And it's like really leaning into like whether you have a rainbow living room, you know, or like this cacophony of colors and all these things. What we're kind of talking about is like meeting yourself where you're at and accepting that person. And then you can graduate into celebrating that person. That's what I think a lot of the body positivity and stuff gets wrong is like there has to be a level of acceptance before you can like dive headfirst into celebrating yourself all the time. Mm -hmm. I think like listen to your, you know, despite how cloudy your connection with your inner self might be, you know what makes you happy. You can start as big or as small as you want, but just create that dialogue between you and your innermost self, your inner child, like what makes you happy. My dining room in my house right now, I'm in a rental and I wallpapered that shit, which is not the most, it's not (laughs) the most economical decision I've ever made in my life or smartest at all. But I was just like, I need a dopamine rush. That's where I was at. I needed something that felt like me, that felt daring, that felt like... Who the fuck cares if anyone else likes it? And I put wildflowers, yellow wildflowers, like all over my dining room. Because I was like, I don't care. Like, I genuinely don't care because I've had a place I wasn't proud of. I've had a place where I've tried to be a modern restoration hardware Mm, house. And it didn't make me happy. And I feel like that's a concrete place if you're a more literal person that you can start. Start to open up the dialogue between you and your inner child by being like, what would she enjoy to see? What pictures should be next to your bed? You know what I mean? Like getting yourself a red pill case because that might make you feel better about taking your antidepressants every day. Life is hard enough. The little tiny ways that we can make it a little easier are so important. And they can feel unimportant. Right. But those little things matter. It goes back to what we were talking about in the beginning. These things can have a ripple effect. These things can have dramatic ongoing changes in our lives. Like be the person that you actually are. Do what makes you happy. Totally. What's your favorite flower? Not the flower that's all over Instagram right now. What is your favorite flower? And I also remember like so vividly, and this is weird now because I do not feel this way anymore. Like whether it be a result of reparenting or therapy or doing the show or any of whatever, or just getting older. I remember being like, I don't even know who I am. I don't even know what I like. I don't even know what is good, what's bad. Like I genuinely felt like such a disassociation from myself or even just being young, like, and just not knowing like, okay, who am I? And you also, like we talked about in the last episode, spend so much time fighting against who you are, you know? And like, trying to pretend you didn't have the childhood you had, trying to pretend you don't like the colors you like or the interests that you have or they're not good enough or they're not whatever. They don't make you money. Like all of those things we spend so much time fighting against. And I think it does so much to our psyche, even in the smallest way to accept something about yourself, to be like, I work best in this way. I like this kind of window treatment because this pink window treatment makes me happy. Just like lean in. 
we are the way that we are. And like, no one's going to help you if you can't help yourself. Yes. Just be more of exactly who you are. Right. Life starts when you accept all of those things. And it's not, you don't have to love all of those things. Like I said, you could want to write, you can want to remedy them or change them. But the first step is looking yourself in the mirror and being like, okay, I have trouble with discipline, maybe because I didn't, I didn't experience that as a form of love in my childhood, but also looking at the ways that you did receive love and understanding like that, those things about yourself is so important. And also realizing, I think it can help with disdain and resentment to realize that like your parents aren't the end all be all of your future trajectory of your life as an adult, you know, like you get the keys back at one point and where that point is, is dependent upon like when you're ready. Cause it is a job. It is like there are seasons in this life where like you might be more focused on healing and there are seasons where you might be focused on output and that's okay. But it's like when you are looking at yourself and you say like, damn, I really wish I felt better about myself or I felt more connected to myself, or I knew who I was, or I wish that I had better interpersonal relationships for X, Y, Z reason. When you're ready for that, you have to like look at yourself in the mirror and look at your childhood and all those stories and those traumas, big T, little T, as solid. I mean, solid is like, those are facts. Those things happened, but it's not over. You know, like right. the, the story's not over and like you'll get better at it as time goes on. You may mm-hmm. start by placing a dandelion on your vanity or refusing to have a scale in your house. You know, like mm-hmm. all these other things. There are a multitude of ways that I can suggest. And then you may get to the point of being like, OK, how can I keep one promise to myself every day? How can I show up for myself in my interpersonal relationships a little better? It's a gradual process, but starting it is extremely important. Yeah. And I would love to hear other people's versions of that. Like, and I love that you gave us versions that are not just visible, but like can also be experiential, like not having a scale in your house, but it can also be like putting a little fresh flower on your nightstand. Totally. It can be things that you love versus knowing things that you don't know or things that don't work for you. That's super important too. But I think we just spend so much time, especially in our 20s, trying to outrun our trauma. And then you finally realize like, oh shit, I can't. You can't. It always comes up. So like, what can I do to like give that version of myself, the younger version of myself, the more naive, the less formed version of myself or just myself who I am right now? How can I give this person more attention to live up to all of my hopes and dreams and wants Mm. because you can. Once you start to recognize the ways that you are deficient or efficient, you can really, Mm. your life starts, your life begins. Mm -hmm. I swear to God, it's like the most important thing you will ever do. Reclaiming your childhood, reclaiming your future in ways that feel good to you and not necessarily good to everyone else in the world. And that may feel like if you have depression, if you have any of these mental illnesses, it may feel like really indulging those some days and then other days fighting against them. It's just about creating the dialogue and listening to what you need. And I just had to go into that. I know we like went into that really in depth, but it's so freeing. It's the most important thing you will ever do. And it's the greatest gift you can ever give yourself.
Okay, so that leads me right into a question that I had for you today. I want to get some advice from Jade. Yeah. What do you do when you are headed into your therapy appointment? And I know sometimes, you know, not going in with an agenda can result in some of the best sessions ever. But like, what do you do when you really don't have anything to talk about? Okay, so first of all, I'm going to start with like a superficial answer. Not a superficial answer, but like a more concrete idea, which is throughout the week between therapy sessions, you should have a notes tab on your phone that says like things to talk about in therapy. Right. And I thought like uh, people would suggest that to me and I'd always be like, I'll remember. It'll be fine. Nope, you never will. You don't remember. You never remember. So doing that is essential. Yeah, so that's something I do. And then I think just finding like the minute ways that you might even you might not even think are worth bringing up in therapy. Okay. You know, like indulging in like the little tiny fuck ups or frustrations within yourself. Like whether it's I find my in-laws siblings or whatever really annoying. Like what is that in me? Like what? (laughs) It's not just necessarily that I find them annoying, but maybe like my inner child wasn't given. I'm going to bring it all back to the fucking inner child. But like maybe they weren't given enough time to speak. So maybe I get frustrated. Like everything is never about just the thing itself. Right. Right. So I think it's thinking to yourself like, oh, I had a phone call with a friend that I beat the shit out of myself (laughs) about, you know, like that time that I left my friend's house and I spent 10 minutes on the way home dissecting every word I said and what the the jokes that fell flat and totally. the ways that they might be thinking that I am and the assumptions that I'm assuming that they're making, like all of these things, like really like your truth happens in a lot of the most, the smallest ways. Oh, yes. Even like what you're dreaming about, like while I don't want to hear about your dream or no one <laughs> does, no, your therapist, your therapist might want to hear about your dreams. Is paid to, exactly. But, like, even just saying, like, what's going right in your life right now is okay. I think we feel so much pressure in therapy mm-hmm. to be, like, bring up all the things that are going wrong and, like, yes, the traumas the and the fights. And, and sometimes it can be, like, okay, this is going really well. And, like, why is that going really well? And what does it make me feel like when things go well? And Or if you're like us, being terrified that something's going well. Now, when I'm feeling there's nothing, like, to talk about, I think a lot of the time you can have clarity when things are quote unquote going right or there isn't a lot of noise, there's less sound mm, to mm-hmm. drown out, you know, your own inner monologue. And I think like just really like forcing yourself to sit in it. And also I think like there's like on Headspace, YouTube and all that other stuff, there's a lot of prompts to help you with like things to talk about, like okay. content to come up with. That's really, really helpful. Was that helpful? I don't know. Yeah. The last couple of weeks I haven't had anything to talk about and I even tried to throw it to her and be like... So what do you feel like we need to work on? And she was like, no, 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 this they is never, your time. They never help you. I know. But I think mostly focusing on your relationships with other people. Every time my boss walks into the room, my st- my heart drops. Like, right. okay, that might be about like an authority issue that you've had since childhood. Totally. Or like, when did that adaptive behavior come? I really think just focusing on how we exist you know, mm-hmm. or like I'm having trouble falling asleep. That might never, that might not be about the gallon of candy you ate or maybe, it right. is, you know what I mean? There's just like, it's never, that the thing is never the thing itself. Like my therapist would genuinely make me sit there 
in complete silence. I'm not fucking kidding. No. In complete silence. And she would be like, okay, just tell me when something comes up. And until then, we're just going to sit there. Oh, and then you can even talk about how you're uncomfortable with silence, mm. you know, or like anything that comes up from that. But yeah. like force yourself to sit in silence like my therapist would. It was torture. Jade, you took us to church this week. Yes, I did. Yes, Pastor Jade coming to you live. I'm just like preaching to you guys, but I'm not because I'm also just I'm in this like I'm doing all of this work with myself. And like this is something that I keep reminding myself, even when I like enter social situations that intimidate me or like I'm about to interview someone that is famous and smart or whatever. You're about to meet in-laws, blah, blah, blah. No one can intimidate you without your permission. So I think that's, like, so important for us to remember that, like, oftentimes, like, when we see that someone is on a pedestal, we put them there. Recognizing that no one has that power over you unless you give them permission. And you might, like, skip over that part because it happens so quickly, you know, and you're already intimidated. But, like, realizing why did I put that person on a pedestal, feeding yourself contrasting thoughts to be like, this person's just a human like I am, like, this person has trauma and issues listen to this podcast if you want some examples like I do realizing that once you put someone on a pedestal it's really hard to rewrite that to make them not look down on you because you put them there you know what I mean so like that's very much like you teach other people how to treat you but I'm just like trying to learn that myself by being like oh like I just give up my power so voluntarily for what And that's something that I'm really working on. I have not found the remedy to that, but I think just even being conscious of it and being like, I did that is important. And then I also just wanted to commiserate with you guys for a minute and just really just for two seconds be like, you know, when you see people on Instagram, like whether it's like a friend from high school or like someone you really admire or like someone who's in the field that you're in or even someone that's not, you know what I mean? But like even someone that has the career path that you want to have or whatever, and you see them say like, I'll see someone that has a podcast and they say, like, we have the best guests coming up or like, oh, my God, something really exciting is about to happen. An announcement's coming out on Wednesday. And you know that fucking pit in your stomach you get? Like, you know that painful, disgusting pit? Yes, it's like I'm filled with jealousy. Like, even if that person is a carpenter, you know what I mean? And you're like, right. I, in, and you're in finance. Like, you're all of a sudden like, oh, my God, intimidated. You're all of a sudden like, I have nothing coming out. The self-loathing that sets in. I don't have any remedy to this. I'm just saying, like, I genuinely <laughs> know how it feels. Oh, it's the worst. It's the worst. It's the worst. Like, I, I have started, like... I really want to stop saying it myself. Like, oh, we have a lot of exciting things coming up. But it also was like a marketing tactic. Right. So for some reason, what's so easy for me to see through as like so transparent when I do it, when someone else does it, I fall hook, line, and sinker. And I'm like, they have something exciting they have exciting happening. things. I have nothing exciting coming up. I'm a failure. I hate myself. Like all <laughs> these self-loathing, like all these, you know, fill in the dialogue as you will. But like. It just sucks. So, like, just know if you saw someone like like that on their Instagram or even, like, seeing someone have an incredible Instagram post and you have nothing to post, your time in the sun will come. At least that's what I tell myself. And, like, it's probably not even that exciting. But they're, you know what I mean? It's, like, it's just a marketing tactic. Yes. Just remember. Just remember. It's not real. Nothing is fucking exciting. But, like, wow, I feel like we really got through some, from, some deep shit. 
You went there. We went there. You went there with me. <laughs> Alrighty. Well, that's all we've got for you this week. This one was a more deep, serious, healing process. And yet we still found time to talk about sex with shapewear. And like also like more importantly, tell me about those stories. Because like what the hell are you doing in those situations? Like I truly (laughs) don't even know. We want to hear everything. And have you ever had sex through the hole, the pee hole? (laughs) Because you deserve a standing ovation. Truly. I love you forever if you have. Double gusset or bust. Okay, that's it for us this week. I love you guys so fucking much. And I'll see you guys back here next week. Same time, same place. Bye.